Uh, a really interesting, funny thing happened to me while I was over in Europe. <clears throat> I uh, went through puberty, and you can probably tell from my very white voice. Yeah, so I come back, I get welcomed with a little bit of the crud, but we'll work through it. We had, uh, it, it was an incredible kingdom time uh, Shelly and I had over in Europe. We went to four different places in three different countries. We're in uh, Germany and France and Switzerland, and I spoke at 12 different services. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's really amazing that wherever you go, when you're around people who get the kingdom, who get, who get the Jesus-looking God raising up a Jesus-looking people to change the world in a Jesus kind of way, when you're around them, there's just this tribe connection. You may not even speak the same language, but there's this tribe connection, and it's beautiful. Uh, we were just so welcomed and loved on and all of that. It was, it was just profound. Um, four of the talks I gave were on the cross-centered way of interpreting the violent portraits of God in a nonviolent way. Um, they were asking me to teach on that, and um, uh, I was just amazed at how they gobbled it up. They are just hungry for that. And uh, some people being set free from that. But probably the most beautiful aspect of this whole trip, and this is the case wherever I go, are the testimonies. Uh, people just saying things like, Woodland Hills is a lifeline. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's changed their tr- theology, transformed their thinking, revolutionized their life. Over and over and over and over again. In some cases, people drive two hours, three hours. In one case, a group of people drove six hours just to say Thanks. Just to say thanks, and, and, and so I'm just relaying what they tell me. It's, it's, it's about what God's using Woodland Hills to do, and it's just an absolute thing of beauty. I also delivered a paper at an academic conference, uh, and the thing that was interesting about that is just that this was an interfaith conference, and um, there's uh, six women there who were Muslims, uh, scholars, uh, five of them were uh, working on their PhDs, uh, from Iran and, and uh, uh, one from Saudi Arabia. And the fact that they're, they're women f- Muslim scholars who are planning on teaching, that already is radical. But what really blew my mind, I mean, whatever stereotypes you've had about Muslims, these women would blow it apart. Um, uh, they, were, they were just, um, they were really progressive in their thinking on, on a lot of things. Two of them were open theists and have read my stuff. <laughs> Muslim open theists. Who would have thought? You know, it was, it was just crazy. It was crazy. But we had such great ministry times, and it was just great fun. And, and then in the middle of this, in between some services I was speaking at, a person there opened up their apartment uh, up in the Alps for Shelly and I to stay. And we had five days up in the Alps in Ingleburg. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, just got to be together. Shelly and I were together 19 straight days. We've never been in an unbroken way together for 19 days straight. And we didn't kill each other. So that really is, you know, praise God. It actually was a really good bonding time for us. Um, and then up in the Alps, I, I got to, one of the things we, I, I did, Shelly didn't want to do it, but I, I went uh, paragliding where you run and jump off a cliff with a parachute. Uh, and that is so much fun and so exhilarating. Uh, so it was just great. I want to thank also uh, uh, Dave and Chris and Sandra for doing such a great job when I was gone. We are so blessed to have such great teachers. It's just, it's just great. But praise God, the kingdom is doing, is alive and well and thriving over in Europe, praise God. And the movement continues. All right. Okay, so we're starting a, a brand new series this weekend called Overcome. I don't know if you caught the second song that we sang was called Overcome, and it's about overcoming temptation. That's the, uh, that's the series, what it's about. All of us get tempted. Jesus even got tempted, uh, and there's a moment when that happens. There's a fork in the road, right? Which way are you going to choose? Are you going to give in to the temptation, or are you going to overcome the temptation? And so that's what this series is about. It's a four-week series, and we're uh, really glad that you're joining us for it. Uh- 
I just don't think I can do it anymore, Joy. Well, the work is exhausting. Uh, my coworkers are miserable. And to think of a nice word, my manager is completely incompetent. I honestly don't even know. No, I, I don't even enjoy the work. Yeah, would you pray for me? That would be awesome. Thank you, Joy. Yep, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, bye. Let's see what's on here. Blah, blah, political sentiment. Blah, blah, blah. Ah, it's funny. Like advertisement, advertisement. Oh, cute little doggy. Like, I'm happy to announce that I'm starting my dream job this coming Monday. Great. Cassandra's got her dream job. Awesome. Good for her. Stop. Get off Facebook. Quit complaining and look for a job if you want a better one. Right. Jobs in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Let's see here. No, 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 no. Oh, oh come on. Is there really no new jobs since yesterday? Fairest maiden of them all, it is time for your daily jog. Oh. Why was the original tree, the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden, called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What's so bad about the knowledge of good and evil? In fact, isn't it good? To have the knowledge of good and evil? And the minute you ask that question now, you're getting to the heart of what it is to be tempted. Because this is exactly what the devil does with Eve in Genesis 3. Comes up to Eve and says, in essence, what is so bad about that tree? Eve, think, let's get practical. Look at that tree. And the Bible says she looked at it and it was good. It was good for food, it was pleasing to the eye, and it was good to make one wise. And the devil's going, get practical, that's a good tree. What on earth could be wrong with knowing good or evil? Why, maybe God is threatened by that tree. Maybe that's why, if he was a loving God, do you think he would have forbidden you to have something as good as that? And hey, Joy, what's up? Um, oh, gosh, yes, I'm sorry, I forgot to bring that. I will bring it tomorrow for sure, yes. Okay, cool. Yep, see you tomorrow. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Since, yeah, since I have you on the phone, and you're so wise, I'm listening to this sermon on temptation, and um, I'm wondering if you can tell me what you think a temptation area is for my life. Well, I, I complain about my job, Joy, because it sucks. It's not a sin to feel discontent in your job. My attitude is way better than my coworkers, so I'm pretty sure I'm a light to them, and Yes, I know the fruits of the Spirit. Oh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Good. You know what? I, I know what you're getting at. No, I don't have any of those at my job, but I don't know what to do because I'm not happy there. Well, does God just want me to suck it up? No, you're right. 
Okay, I'll, I'll pray about it. All right. All right. See you tomorrow. Thanks, Joy. Bye. Okay, God. I don't know how to do this. I hate my job. I hate the way it makes me feel and don't want to feel this way anymore. Clearly, my discontent is tempting me to be gross and I'm choosing that, but I don't hear an alternative. Speak to me. Okay, gotta go to work. All right, you can do this. You can do this. have a 12 ounce medium roast with a shot of espresso please okay hmm? oh I'm I'm fine I mean I'm headed to a job I hate but you know I'm doing okay considering that <laughs> oh no it's fine I mean I'm looking for other jobs so you know how it is yep okay thanks Why did I say that? I, I, I totally didn't need to say that. Oh, okay. Um, this is going to sound super weird, um, but I'm trying to be content with what I have. So I actually don't hate my job, and I'm trying to find ways to enjoy it. So, And um, I, I think you forgot to give me my change. Thanks. All right. All right, Julie, you can do this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Hey, y'all. Love, joy, peace. Pa what? Did she really just suggest that's how we move forward with the project? Are you kidding me? That's a terrible idea. How am I supposed to be peaceful and loving in this situation? Jesus, that's a terrible idea. Why can't I tell her that I don't think it's a good idea? because she's gonna freak out. But I'm anxious, judgmental, and impatient right now, and just keeping it inside of me is driving me crazy. Oh, I don't even know what I'm gonna say. I'll just offend her. Okay, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just say something, get it out. 
Yeah, um, I was just wondering if we would be open to other ideas about uh, moving the project forward. Hey, Joy, what a day. Became super aware of myself. You were spot on baby steps, right? Thanks. The end. <clears throat> Didn't Mary do such a great job? <laughs> Thanks, Julie. No, that was great. Uh, Julie, um, that, that was a hypothetical job you're working in, right? That wasn't a true story. Okay. Just want to make sure. <clears throat> All right. When we think about temptation, we often think about, uh, you know, the biggies. The big temptations of the wrong kind of sex and, and uh, uh, being greedy and maybe abusing drugs and alcohol or uh, striving for fame or uh, looking at the back of your Sudoku to cheat when you're doing Sudoku, you know, the biggies. Uh, but what I, what I love about this skit is that um, it anchors this, idea, this concept of temptation in our everyday life, including non-ideal work circumstances. Um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's about our everyday life. Because if you think about it, in every situation, there's a Christ-like way of responding to the situation and a non-Christ-like way of responding to the situation. And that's what tempts us. And uh, um, you can always tell the difference between the two because uh, when you respond in Christ-like ways, you manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. And, and when we don't respond in Christ-like ways, um, we, we lack the fruit of the Spirit. And so this series is about something that we deal with every day of our life. It's not just with the biggie temptations now and then. It's every day of our life, which makes this series very, very important. And as that skit conveys, um, at the heart of, of every temptation is, is the question of how, we will, how will we go about fulfilling the desire, the hunger, the disenchantment of our heart. At its heart, every temptation is a pull to meet a legitimate need or satisfy a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. Every temptation is a pull to meet a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. So in this series, we're going to talk about the nature of temptation. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the enemy's strategy in trying to trip us up in temptation. We're going to talk about the role of community in resisting temptation. And maybe most importantly, we'll be, throughout this series, giving some practical strategies on how we can overcome in temptation, which is why this series is called Overcome. Uh, the place to start, I think, is with the passage of Scripture that is, uh, deals with temptation m most extensively. It's found in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. And here's what James says. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted when one's own desire, one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it, and then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. That last sentence kind of summarizes the whole thing that James is talking about. Uh, because this whole process going from enticement or temptation to sin being conceived to sin being born, uh, growing up, and, and then leading to death, that whole process is, is um, undergirded by deception. There's deception at every stage 
of this temptation to sin to death process. Which means that the answer, the way to fight all this, is to be anchored in truth. And we'll get to that a, a, a little bit later on. But deception is the, 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 the root of all those stages, the underground of all those stages. So let's unpack this passage. First, James says that, that when you're being tempted, don't say that God is tempting you because God doesn't tempt you. Now, sometimes people have wondered, how does that, how does that comport with, with uh, when Jesus says that we're supposed to pray, uh, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Is there a contradiction there? And the answer is that there is no contradiction there. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, pray that the Father won't tempt you. He just says, pray that the Father leads you in a course where you, where you won't face temptations. It's a prayer that expresses the heart of someone who wants to avoid temptation, if at all possible. You're simply saying, Father, steer us clear of temptation. But we also have to understand that in this fallen world in which we live, you're going to face temptations. It's impossible to go through life and not face temptations. In fact, sometimes for us to grow and mature, we need to face temptations to overcome them. And there are times where God uh, allows us to face temptations to demonstrate that we're ready for a higher calling. And so while we pray, Father, steer us clear of temptations, we have to always be prepared to confront temptations. And we should always end that prayer by, by following Jesus' example and saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then James, he says, it's not God who tempts us. We're tempted by our own desire. Let's talk about that desire here for a moment. At the core of every human being, there is this profound desire, this longing, this disenchantment. Uh, as Bruce Springsteen said many, many, many years ago, everybody's got a hungry heart. We're born with a hungry heart. Now, hearts are supposed to be red because they're supposed to be filled with blood. But our brilliant creative team made this heart black because it's a hungry heart. It's longing for that which will give it life. It's a, it's a hungry heart. Um, and see, that, that hungry heart isn't a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. God created us with that hungry heart uh, because God wants to pour his life and his fullness into us. God is to be to us what blood is to the heart. He's to make our life pump. And so God puts this in us as sort of a, as I often say around here, a homing device. Uh, it, it, it's there to drive us. This hunger is there to drive us again and again and again back to God uh, as, our, as our, our source of life, our source of worth and significance and security. So that hungry heart is a good thing. The, the problem is that we live in a fallen world where there are deceptive things all around us all the time that look like they could give us life. Things that look like the, the red blood that our heart is hungry for. And um, uh, they promise life, these things, these activities, they promise life, but in fact, it's false life. Because in embarking on that, we are heading down a path of emptiness and destruction. We're surrounded by false life. But the fact that it looks like life entices us. And this is the second stage of, of uh, a temptation. This is, this is really the root of all temptation, this enticement. And, and so here, this thing that we think will give life, that's why we, we have it read. It looks like the blood that the heart longs for. It's, it's calling us over to itself. And we're drawn by that. All, all around us there are things that say, hey, listen, if you do this, if you get this, uh, I'll satisfy you. I'll give you a fullness of life. Uh, I'll meet a need in your life. I'm what you're longing for. And so it, it entices us. Now, it's important for us to know that the fact that you're tempted is not itself a sin. Because James says that we're enticed, and then that can lead to con a, a sinful desire being conceived, which then can lead to giving birth to sin. 
So temptation itself is not sin. And Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way just like we are, and yet he never sinned. So clearly, to be tempted is not sin. Now that's an important distinction to make. Because if we don't clearly distinguish between being tempted to sin and sin itself, we can fall into one of the enemy's number one traps. And, and that is to think that we've already sinned just by virtue of the fact that we're being tempted. And if we think we've already sinned, we've already fallen, well then we stop resisting the temptation, which is the very thing that causes us to fall into the sin that was tempting us. Very common strategy. When I was a, a new Christian and a young man, like a, a, I, I fell into this trap all the time. Like a lot of uh, young men and women, I had a big struggle with lust. I'm sure no young people can relate to that today, but back in those days, we, we struggled with that a little bit. And um, I'll say this, one of the benefits of getting older, there aren't many, but one of the benefits of getting older is that your hormones become a little bit more manageable. And so all of us 15 overcrowd can say to you younger folks, uh, the good news is that 30, 40 years from now, you won't be struggling quite as much. So take heart. There you go. But when I was 16 and 17, uh, you know, I, I felt like I was a walking hormonal lust bomb, and, and, and anything could set me off. I was enticed by everything. It was just crazy. And so you'd see something random, or you'd think something random, and so your hormones would start racing. And then I would think, oh, I fell into it again. I, I thought, I, boom, I blew it. And, and I let my guard down, which would be the very thing that would then cause me to fall into it. And then the devil jumps on your back and accuses you and tells you what a loser you are and you knew this was going to happen and you're never going to succeed. So to medicate that, the pain of that shame, you fall further into sin. And I would find myself going on these sin binges for a day or two or a week, whatever. Um, I'm sure some of you can relate to that as well. Don't fall into that trap. The fact that you're tempted does not itself mean that you're sinned. Look at, I don't care how old or how young you are, you're going to face temptations. Uh, Jesus faced temptations, you're going to face temptations. And uh, uh, that's just part of what it is to be a human being in a fallen world. It is not a self-sin. What matters is how you respond. Do you resist it and set it aside, or do you yield to it and give into it? And uh, if you yield to it, well, then, th then you're moving on to the next stage of temptation in this, this, this tempt, sin, death process. If we yield to that false life, uh, our, our heart gets fused with that enticement. And now we, we, we have conceived a sinful desire in our heart. And this is the second stage of, of temptation. We could call it conception. So there's enticement. Uh, there's enticement that then leads to conception. And um, here, the, the, the analogy that, that James is drawing is between the way sin is conceived, a sinful desire is conceived in our heart, and the way that a, a, a new child is conceived. Um, the way that a sperm and egg come together to conceive a new child. When you're just being enticed by something, your desire is still towards God. It's just being bent a little bit. There's still a space between you and the enticement. But if we yield to that enticement, now we've invited it in, and it grips our heart and begins to choke our heart. Uh, there's a fusion that has taken place here. And so now the, 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 the possibility of sin that, that, that was enticing us now has been actualized. And we've, we've given birth to sin in our life. Um, so, so there's the, the, the enticement that leads to the conception. And that conception, if we follow it through, gives birth to sin. And now that, that's the point at which we cross this line. And the reason why God identifies this as sin is because it harms us and often harms other people. 
It's not that we, we broke a rule and God gets angry at that. It's that it, it, he's angry at this because it, it brings harm to us. Uh, sin usually feels initially like it's giving life. It feels like it's the lifeblood that our heart longs for. It feels like it's meeting some need. It feels like it's going to improve our life in some way. It feels like it's going to satisfy some urge. But that's just another deception. It's false life. It looks like it's life, but actually it's not. The truth is it's choking the life of our desire for God right out of us. And if we don't turn from that, that little baby sin now starts to grow up, becomes an adolescent sin, becomes an adult sin. And so this is the fourth stage of this process. We could call it growth. And the the more this thing grows, uh, the stronger it gets, the harder it is to say no to it, uh, and the more destruction it wreaks in our life. And if we don't turn from that, if we don't repent from that, well, James says it, it then brings us to the fifth and final stage of this process, and that is death. It results in death. Uh, he's not just here talking about physical death, though all physical death is a result of our fallen condition. Uh, but he's talking also about the death consequences in our life. That sin is inherently destructive. It kills part of our humanity. Uh, it, 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 it dulls and eventually can kill our capacity to sense God's presence. Our, uh, it, it can kill our yearning for God. It can kill our capacity to receive his love and to give his love for others. If it becomes fully grown, it can undermine, it can dull and eventually kill our, our ability to empath, empathize with others and even our willingness to empathize with others. It compromises our, our, our sense of being fully alive. Uh, it, 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 it dehumanizes us in different ways. So it always brings about death consequences. I want us to see that the sin itself does that. Sin itself brings about death consequences. Some people think of God as this judge who's, who, who's going to impose a death sentence uh, on people. Um, or in some people's theology, he imposes eternal torture on people. He's like some toddler who gets mad because you broke a rule and he's got to prove he's boss by being vindictive. But that's not at all the way it is. Uh, the, the consequences of sin is built into the sin itself. The truth is that sin punishes itself. It punishes itself. Uh, death is as natural to sin as growing up is to a baby. That's how James is presenting it. You might say that death is, the D, is in the DNA of sin. And that's why it's important to kill it as, as soon as we can. And the reason why God hates sin, it's not because we broke a rule. He hates it because he loves you and hates to see you bring harm on yourself. He hates sin because he loves you, and he wants to pour his fullness of true life and his love into you. Uh, he, he's angry at sin because he loves you, and he wants to see you growing and thriving in your capacity to receive his love and to give his love and to live fully alive as a fully alive human being. And he wants to see you grow in your capacity, capacity to empathize with others and to experience the joy and the love and the peace of the kingdom. And, and he hates sin because sin is moving us in the opposite direction. That's why God's angry with sin. When it's fully grown, it brings about death consequences. So this process here is from, from enticement to conception. But even the conception isn't yet sin. Uh, even when, when it's conceived, this desire is being, being now, our horny device is being changed. That's not itself sin. But if we don't abort that newly conceived sin quickly, well, then it gives birth to sin. And sin then grows, and that growing, if it becomes fully grown, it results in death. This is the life cycle of what we might call false life. I should say, it's the death cycle of what we would call false life. And what undergirds the whole process is deception. Deception 
is what false life feeds on. It needs deception in order to continue on, to grow. Which means that the way to not embark on this process or to get off this process if you're already on it uh, is to be anchored in truth because the opposite of deception is truth. To be eating, saturating yourself with truth. And the way we recognize truth and lies is in our mind. Which is why the battle of temptation is first and foremost a battle in our mind. Uh, the passage that we read during worship service is all about this. In fact, I, I want to read it again because it's so important. It says, indeed, in fact, let's all read it again since we all read it the first time. Indeed, we live as human beings, but we do not wage war according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Those two words there, logismus and, and hupsoma, I'll talk about here in a minute. In a minute. Uh, they're important. But let's, let's break this down. First, Paul assumes that we're in a battlefield. And a major part of that battle is recognizing, identifying, and resisting lies. And that happens, Paul assumes, in the mind. It's a battle of the mind. Secondly, Paul says that the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power. Now, in saying that they're not merely human, he is saying that they are human, they're just more than that. They are human because they involve our own will and our own thought processes. And when our will and our thought processes are aligned with what he calls the knowledge of God, it has divine power. Because, because the, the, our, our thoughts are now anchored in the word of God, and they're fueled by the spirit of God that, who is within us. Third thing Paul says is that the weapons of our thoughts that are anchored in the truth, um, th th those weapons can destroy strongholds. And to destroy strongholds, we come against everything uh, that, that, that argues against or that stands against the knowledge of God. Standing in the truth, we come against everything that's not the truth. And we're doing that in our mind. And that is our warfare. And, and he specifies two things that we're to come against. And they're translated differently in different translations. But the key to understanding them is to know that the goal of the whole thing is to bring every thought captive to Christ. So Paul is talking about thought processes here. He says we come against logismos, which is translated arguments. Um, the, the, you'll note the word logos is, is, is there. It's, the root is, is logos, and that's the Greek word for speech or thought. And so he's, say, he's saying we come against reasoning processes or thought processes. Insofar as they conflict with what we know to be true in Jesus Christ, we're, we are to come against them. And then he says we are to come against hupsoma. Now, that comes from the combination of the Greek prefix hupo, which means to stand out or to stand against or to stand over. And soma is the word for body or something solid. So he's saying we come against every solid thing that stands up against the knowledge of God. And since he's talking about thought processes, I think he's talking about the images in our mind, the concrete images we have, our imagination. And so this passage is telling us that we are to come against, knowing who God is in Jesus Christ, knowing the call of God in our life, we are to come against every thought process and every imagination that, that, that contradicts what we know to be true in Jesus Christ. And this, folks, is the key to saying no to enticement. Uh, really, that what we do with our actions is simply the, the end result of what we're already doing in our head. The battle is in our mind. 
Uh, think about the last time you gave in to an enticement, a temptation. Okay, this might have been last night, might have been a week ago, might have been a year ago, but think back to the last time where you caved into a temptation and ask the question, what, were you, what was going on in your head just prior to you caving into that temptation? What was going on in your mind? Now, I'll tell you what was going on in your mind if, if, if you can't access it. Um, what was going on was this. You, had, you were imagining in a positive way the thing that you ended up doing, giving into. Uh, there was thought processes and things that you were imagining that made doing that desirable and positive. Made you want it, and then made you go ahead and do that. Um, you were telling yourself some kind of a story, a narrative where doing that made sense. So, for example, let's say, let's say that you're trying to lower your sugar intake because you know that there's too much sugar that we're, we're, we're digesting these days, and it's not good for you. So you're trying to lower your sugar intake, which is actually what I'm trying to do these days. Um, not very successful, but I'm trying. So um, that's your goal. So you go to a restaurant. And you notice that on the dessert menu, there is this scrumptious-looking cheesecake with this, this, this sugary glazed chocolate covering. Mmm. Now, here's the thing. Part of you, which we could represent as sort of the angel on your right shoulder, part of you is saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Imagine, just visualize, imagine how good you're going to feel when you've lost that 20 pounds and you've got more energy and you're not going through those sugar highs and sugar lows. Just enter into that and, 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 and see that chocolate cake is a bad thing because it's, it's going to interfere with that. But there's another part of you that's saying, oh, just imagine how good that will taste. Uh, you know, and, and, and you, you, know, you can almost taste it now. You can see it so clearly. It's there and it's pulling on you. Come on, eat me, eat me. And then you're telling yourself a story. Uh, something like, come on, you've been such a good boy. All, all week you've been such a good boy. You deserve a reward. You deserve a break. Uh, all week, well, actually you had a brownie yesterday. But ever since yesterday, you've been really, really good. Yeah, you did put the sugar on your cereal because cereal is so bland without sugar. But ever since this breakfast, you've been so good. You deserve a reward. Pat yourself on the back. Fuel up. Come on, Chunky. You do, just go ahead and go for it. And, and see, if that's what you're representing most strongly, if you're seeing that in a positive light, well, you're pulled towards that, and that's what you're going to end up doing. Lock this in. We are hardwired to act on our greatest want. And we're hardwired to want whatever it is that we're representing as most positive in our head. It's not what's outside of us that's tempting us. It's how we're representing it in our head. And, and that pulls on us. We're also hardwired to run away from and avoid things that we represent as negative. The battle is in the mind. So this issue of temptation comes down to this. The question that we answer with every temptation is this. Will we represent with our hoopsoma? Will, will we imagine and will we think along things according to the truth, according to what we know is true in Jesus Christ, or maybe just according to what you know is healthy for you? Will, will you represent things in that way or will we represent uh, things in a different way. What are we going to highlight? What it will be positive and what will be negative in terms of how we imagine things and how we think about things? And really, the issue of temptation comes down to be this. Will we see, will we represent and think about sin as the ugly, damaging thing that it is? Or will we be deceived, allow ourselves to be deceived and represent what is actually negative as something positive? Are we going to buy the lie of false life? 
How do we represent it in our head? Because how we, how we do this in our head, the warfare we do in our head, determines the path that we end up going down. I'll give one more illustration of this. Um, a number of years ago, I was talking to this young man who, whose marriage, he only been married about a year and a half, but the marriage was almost dead. Uh, and the major reason was because this guy was seriously addicted to pornography. And uh, so he talks to me out of this act of desperation. And, and I, we, we did a number of things in this session. We got him into the men's pure desire group and, and got some uh, blocks on his computer and, and some practical things like that. But the thing that broke this stronghold, I mean, he had a classic stronghold. The thing that broke his stronghold was this. I, I, I asked him to imagine the last time he fell into this temptation. And it wasn't hard for him to do because it had been the night before. And, uh, and so I said, okay, now I want you to get, look at what was going on in your head just prior to your decision to get on that computer. What were you seeing? What were you hearing? Because you were doing something that made that seem reasonable and positive. And as I expected, what was going on is that he had images in his head uh, that were presented in a positive way, in ways that he was biologically wired to want, to, to crave. And those images pull him along, and there's a reasoning process that, that you know, he tells himself a story, and boom, he finds himself on the computer again. But then I asked him, uh, you know, does God see this as a positive thing? And this guy's a follower of Jesus, he believes in Jesus, so he, he, he knew the answer to that, no. The truth is that this activity is... It's ugly. It is damaging. This activity destroys people. This pornography destroys marriages and relationships and harms uh, people in, psychologically in, in a lot of ways. It's, it, it's a gross, ugly thing. And the truth is that this activity is part of a kingdom of darkness that the same kingdom that is involved in kidnapping and enslaving makes sex slaves out of children. And the energy you give to any part of the kingdom is giving energy to that. Do you want to participate in that? And then he said, no, I don't. I said, so what, if that's how God sees it, then why not make it the way you see it, the way you image it in your head? Make that your hoopsoma. And so we asked the Holy Spirit to help him see this activity for what it really is. It took him a little while, but in time, he, he, I, I said, imagine this, the, the same, whatever images you had going into last night's fall, if, do, run that again, but now this time do it according to truth. You did it according to deception before because it was presented as a positive thing. But now see it for what it really is, the way God sees it. And what he saw was the same image, but it was gross. It was disgusting. Uh, this woman, it was like it had scales growing on her and, and, and uh, there's vomit all over her. And uh, she was miserable and she was chained up because she was in bondage. And, and there was these like rat creatures, these demon creatures that were laughing as they're crawling on her because they had just enslaved her and were destroying her. And he was helping her do that the night before, helping them do that the night before. And see, there's nothing that turns, nothing about that, that picture would turn him on. Nothing about that picture would draw him. In fact, that was a complete demotivator. And, and see, now he's seeing things according to truth. And he's no longer enticed by that. And so I, I, I had him to commit to this. The next time you feel this pull, and you will, probably sometime later today, because you have a habit of thought here, next time you feel this pull, make the choice, and this is the ultimate choice, the choice to see it the way God sees it. See it according to truth. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. This is not this positive thing that you're representing. It. It's ugly, it's gross, it's damaging. It's part of the kingdom of darkness. 
And see, that's the ultimate decision we make. Will we cut off that pull or are we going to yield to that pull? But I don't want this guy thinking that all, about all sex in that vomit gross kind of way because he's married. And so I said, once, you set, once you've done that, set it aside. And now I want you to, I asked him, what's, the, what's God's purpose for sex? And he says, what's well, become one flesh with your wife? I said, good. So represent that positively. Make <laughs> as positive as, as you want. Because see, that will then draw you towards her and that's the purpose of the whole thing. Uh, folks, uh, the battle is, is in our head before it's ever in our actions. Uh, and, and freedom is not ultimately about saying no to what you want. Though it's good to say no to what you want, because if you don't, you're just going to want it more and more and more. Say no to what you want. But real freedom is being able to change what you want. And we have the authority in Christ to do that. But how we represent things in our head, the battle is in our mind. And so I, I want us right now to go through that exercise. All right, we'll close with this. Right now, imagine, envision the last time you fell into a temptation. I actually had a lady last night who says that she can't remember the last time she fell into temptation. And um, either she has a bad memory or she's really holy. Uh, but for the rest of us, imagine the last time. And then I want you to uh, try to access what was going through your head. What was the story you were telling? What were the images you were seeing just prior to you falling into that temptation? And if you're doing this well, you'll notice that you were doing it in a positive way that made you want it. And once you have accessed that, now I, let's ask the Lord to help us see what he sees. That positive way of imaging that stands against the knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. So we have to come against it. And we want to bring every thought captive to Christ. So how does God see that? And now try to represent uh, that, that the way God sees it, as a negative thing. Uh, the Holy Spirit's very creative here. Just let him, however he, he represents it. It's not good for you. It's not positive. See it in all of its negativity. And you'll know that you are seeing it correctly when it demotivates you. Like, ugh, I don't want to go there. And finally, I want you to envision how good it feels to say no to that. How good it feels to not be in bondage. How free it is when our thoughts, our images, and our will is aligned with God's will. And now, will you commit to this one thing? Next time you are enticed by that thing, make the, the ultimate choice. Choose to see it the way God sees it. Choose to see it according to truth rather than according to deception. Because that's where the battle's fought. Amen. Would you stand? I, I, I would like to ask the prayer teams to come up here, and I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. Um, if there's any need that you have that could use prayer, I encourage you to come up here and, and pray with these folks. They'd love to minister to you, whether it's about this topic or something else. And if you're not a surrendered follower of Jesus, uh, but there's something pulling on you saying that you should consider that, I encourage you to listen to that and come up here and talk to these folks. And they, they'd love to uh, explain to you what it is to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we leave this place, can we commit to being warriors in our brains, mind warriors, uh, can we commit to getting our thoughts and our imaginations to line up with what we know to be true in Jesus Christ?
because that, folks, is where the battle is fought. If you're in agreement with that, say amen and go out and love on people. All right, God bless.